Soon as Wire found itself in the crosshairs of some Golden Knights fans, we've got the Oklahoma weekend scoreboard to update and some Baker Mayfield news to discuss, along with a wide receiver preview on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooners Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday, 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, how was your weekend? How you doing, my friend? Oh, it was great. Lots of Sooner sports, a lot of NCAA tournament basketball. Life is good. Sports, sports, sports. No complaints. Yeah, and make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way that you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, no funky props, just your skill versus the lineups you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. Hey, and I talked about it in the tease. So our guy, Brian Cruz, writes for us over, or me over at Sooners Wired, Josh's former colleague. He wrote a piece just kind of previewing Dylan Gabriel, getting him, getting everybody ready for spring ball, looking ahead to the 2022 season, but had, you know, just said something about, uh, you know, UCF in the piece. We really didn't even say anything about UCF, but he said something along the lines of, for the former freshman All-American, this marks a major switch from quarterbacking UCF to a major college football program with a reputation and expectations like Oklahoma. Apparently, Josh, that was a little too much for UCF fans to digest and to accept that Oklahoma is a superior program. Is that out of out of line? No, it, it was not out of line. I think it's out of line for UCF fans to get bent out of shape about it. Look, anytime a player transfers from one school to another, and with Dylan Gabriel, when you hear the rumblings from down in Orlando that he was someone that was very name image and likeness driven in this day and age, that's not going to be a happy fan base. It's going to be a disgruntled fan base. And really, I think that's what you saw from UCF fans here to where there's a little bit of, you know, we're, we're just as good as Oklahoma syndrome. You're trying to fight back and stick up for your school. But I think anybody that follows college football understands UCF not in the same breath as Oklahoma, sure. I, I think there's a lot to be excited about with Knights football moving forward, the move to the Big 12. But it's not Oklahoma. It'll never be Oklahoma. Yes, it's a big step up in competition for Dylan Gabriel to come to Norman, Oklahoma. That's it. That's the end of the story, right? Yeah, it's crazy to me. that. So I, I hadn't really looked at my mentions on, on Twitter for the Sooners Wire account uh, until about, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I look at it, and it's got like 20-plus on the notification, like what blew up over there? Cause that's wild. Not, we're not really talking about much except for, you know, you know, previewing the, the spring ball. And I saw what was happening. I was like, really, this is what you're getting bent out of shape of over. Like, what did we say on this? That was wrong. I mean, Oklahoma is a superior program to UCF. I'm sorry, UCF. You've had some great years the last decade, but that's in the last decade. 
Oklahoma's got 100 years of high-level competitive football, seven national championships, 50 conference championships. Was it 14 Big 12 championships in just the last two decades alone? Seven Heisman Trophy winners. And they're the favorite to win the Big 12 again by most accounts in 2022. So while, yes, UCF, you've done a lot of really nice things. You made yourself a contender a few years back. You've made yourself nationally relevant on the AAC Group of Five level. So relevant that you got a Big 12 invite uh, in this latest round of realignment. But come on, like let's be real. And and I and I'm looking at this also through the lens of the Oklahoma UC, USC debate, everything that went down a few months back, and how Oklahoma fans and USC fans just went, you know, to war basically defending their school and their program, trying to decide who was the better program. This is not even close to that. Like USC, sure, they've got a little bit more of an argument to be you know, considered in the elite tier programs with Oklahoma. Um, but UCF, you're just not it. I'm sorry. Like, and I don't mean any disrespect because you've done really nice things. Our, our formal guy, Josh Heupel, was a big part of that program and changing its culture and helping to, to develop that program before moving on to Tennessee, which if you're as good a program as Oklahoma, then you don't leave UCF for Tennessee. I'm sorry. But it, it's just wild to me that, that that's even a conversation. And I feel like it had to be addressed here because, again, it's so wild. Like, I get college football fandom. You want, you're going to support your school no matter what. And I will say, there were several UCF fans in the mentions are you like being realistic and saying, yes, we're not what Oklahoma is. And I think that's real. That's okay to say, like, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Like we as Oklahoma fans recognize we're not what Alabama is, you know, historically, yes, we can contend with Alabama, but in the last decade, we're not on the same playing field as Alabama. Well, I think Oklahoma fans, right. That's why you have so much excitement with Brent Venables taking over as head coach because you realize you're not what Clemson is. And obviously the histories between Oklahoma and Clemson are night and day different. Clemson was nobody in the world of college football, save for one great season back in the 80s before this run with Dabo Sweeney and, of course, Brent Venables as their defensive coordinator. And yet anybody, anybody that's looking at it objectively, an Oklahoma fan too, would say, you know what? The Sooners are not, have not been quite to where Clemson is at right now. It's okay. We're fans. We get a little passionate. We get a little unrealistic at times. But if you're being objective, sorry, Central Florida is not in the same breath as Oklahoma. And, of course, Dylan Gabriel would be excited by the opportunity to come play quarterback at Oklahoma. It, John, playing quarterback at Oklahoma for Dylan Gabriel enhances his earning power. That's just the world we live in in college football. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma is that type of program compared to what the type of program Central Florida is. Like I said earlier, I think Central Florida is intriguing with the, the move to the Big 12, with what the Big 12, you start forecasting what the future of that conference looks like. Okay, you love what Baylor did this past season. I think that, of course, Baylor would be one of the first names that you think of going forward once Texas and Oklahoma depart from this conference to potentially – turn into what Oklahoma has been in the Big 12, right? That perennial conference champion. But after that, you start saying, okay, well, what about Oklahoma State? Would Oklahoma State be that team? Okay, Kansas State. Central Florida is right in that mix too. And maybe Central Florida winds up being the team out of all of those, uh, even more so than Baylor that winds up running the conference once Oklahoma and Texas are out of it. But where we sit today, stop it. You cannot yeah. compare Central Florida and Oklahoma. You can't. 
Yeah, and I even mentioned to him, I said, listen, I would have loved for the Big 12 to make this move five years ago. Be proactive in conference realignment. Bring in a UCF, a Cincinnati, a BYU, and a Houston. Schools that make a lot of sense from a recruiting footprint. You get into Florida, you get into Ohio, you get into Southeast Texas, and then you get an international uh, presence in BYU, and it helps your conference as a whole. I wish they would have done that four or five years ago, get the conference to 14 teams, and I think it would have been a a ton of fun. I mean, would Oklahoma and Texas Texas have left for the SEC? Maybe they still might have. But I think it creates a lot of intriguing matchups, even for the Big 12 moving forward. But yeah, UCF fans, thank you so much for your passion and for your interactions and sharing uh, the article on all your UCF sites and talking about how dumb we are. I appreciate y'all. But uh, yeah, we're we're here to, to settle it. It's over. UCF, you're not where Oklahoma is. And hey, maybe we'll get the opportunity to play in 2023. It would be, it would be interesting. We'll see how all of that yeah. shakes out with whenever Oklahoma and Texas leave this conference. One more thing on this that I thought was just the most fascinating of all. The commenter that tweeted you guys and said, look at Oklahoma with its misplaced arrogance. Are you kidding me? This is UCF fans with misplaced arrogance. Talk about the, the, the pedal, the, the kettle calling the, the pot. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And then I even forgot that Mackenzie Melton thought so much of UCF that he thought that he needed to transfer to Florida State. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but hey, coming up next, we're going to talk about another quarterback situation going on in the NFL with our guy Baker Mayfield. We talked about it on uh, our show last week. Got some updated news. I'm sure you've seen it. I got to eat some crow probably uh, with Josh. We'll go over our Big 12 scoreboard as well. But first, let me talk to you about Stat Hero. March Madness is going on. I hope your brackets are still in good shape. Mine, it's in terrible shape. But, hey, you can still play Daily Pick'ems with Stat Hero over at StatHero.com. They got great NCAA single-game pick'ems that pit star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage in daily fantasy sports. Start focusing on the players that you know the best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. You see the lineup that you're playing against. It's not like Daily Fantasy where it's a mystery on some other sites. You get to see what you're going up against every time that you enter a pick in Stat Hero. So go to StatHero.com. It's a, a great way. It's the easiest and the fastest way to get in on your sports action fix. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Go head-to-head against the lineups. So sign up for free right now at StatHero.com slash on. And you can get a 100% deposit match using promo code locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. And use our promo code locked on to get a 100% deposit match at stathero.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Also, got to talk to you about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you've given up on your New Year's resolution, now's the time to get back on the horse with Built Bar. It's fantastic, tastes great, and great for you. 150 to 170 calories and four or five grams of of sugar, 17 grams of protein, and great flavors like mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and peanut butter brownie as well. That's my personal favorite. Also love the coconut almond. Always hits home every single time. So go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order over at built.com using promo code LOCKED15. And thanks so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We appreciate you subscribing on here, here on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on every podcast platform. 
So, and make, hey, make sure you go follow us on Twitter as well just to get more Oklahoma Sooners talk. You can follow us on Facebook, leave a comment, leave a question. We'd love to hear back from you. It's now time for a new segment here, or at least a new part of the segment, where we're going to run down the Oklahoma scoreboard. Josh, what you got first? Well, allow me to not misread any scores here, just so we're officially official. I've got the notes here. Softball from this weekend. Just pure domination once more. Five more run rule victories. Sam Houston State 10 to 1, Indiana 15 to 1, San Diego 11 to nothing, Houston 8 to nothing, Iowa 20 to nothing. Oklahoma the Sooners win that one from the Hall of Fame Classic. Lindsey Elam, a three home run day, uh, Jordy Ball no-hit performance. And of course the the big story for Oklahoma softball beyond those two and just the five run rule victories and the complete domination of Oklahoma. Jocelyn Allos hit the century mark, John. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Outscored their opponents this weekend, 64 to two. That's just unreal. I feel like they're continually setting a new standard for offense and really defense in, in softball. It's unreal. Um, women's hoops got by IUPUI on Saturday, 78 to 72. Great games from Taylor Robertson, seven, uh, 22 points. Maddie Williams with 21 as well. Held Macy Williams, the IUPUI star in check. She shot like six six of 15, so did a really good job against her in the paint. Even though they got out-rebounded and IUPUI put up a really good fight, Oklahoma came out on top and advanced. Yeah, and we're seeing some upsets all of a sudden in this NCAA women's basketball tournament. Number two seed Baylor went down today to South Dakota of all teams. Iowa, of course, they have a star, Caitlin Clark, national player of the year type front runner. And Iowa lost at home today to Creighton. So, look, yeah, it's a 78-72 win over IUPUI. I get that. It was inside the Lloyd Noble Center. But right now, wins in the NCAA women's basketball tournament starting to kind of resemble and come at a premium like the men's basketball tournament. For years and years, we didn't see a lot of those types of upsets in the women's basketball championship. So, hey, Taylor Robertson, great game for her, great game for Maddie Williams. And then Skylar Van, we wondered what her health status was going to be like going into this NCAA tournament, and she was able to score 13 points in the contest for Oklahoma. So, great start for them. Now they meet a Notre Dame team that uh, I believe has four players averaging in double figures. So, it'll be a tough test in round two. Yeah, but – I like, I like their chances. They're a good scoring team and played really good defense against IUPUI, so it's going to be good stuff. Uh, men's hoops, womp womp, fell in the NIT on Sunday night uh, to St. Bonaventure. Had a little inside information going into that game and knew that they were going to be a tough contest, but they lost 70-68. Uh, uh, Moja Gibson had another, another standout game, 26 points. Jalen Hill had 13, but that's really all you got offensively from the Oklahoma Sooners tonight. It was really – mostly St. Bonaventure. Oklahoma came out with a really sluggish start and just didn't have enough uh, consistency throughout the game to, to ward off the Bonnies. Uh, OU Women's Gym had a great weekend in Denver, a great Saturday in Denver, picked up the Big 12 championship, had seven individual titles, uh, Big 12 or the Big 12 Coach of the Year included in that. So a, a great weekend for them. And men's baseball falls in the, C- the weekend series to the University of New Orleans. Yeah, disappointing on the baseball end of the equation. Obviously sort of polar opposite to what happened with softball for Oklahoma. 
Great though, uh, in, in some of those other sports, uh, not, not for the NIT finish, but I kind of look big picture with men's basketball and say, look what happened to this team the last two, three weeks of the season where they fought their tails off. Obviously they, they won those final three regular season games and then beat Baylor in the big 12 tournament to give themselves an opportunity at potentially getting an NCAA at large bid. It didn't happen. And I was curious after that, what was this team going to look like in the NIT tournament? Okay, we can dive into or discuss the fact that Goldwire and Tanner Groves didn't have the types of games that they would have wanted to have in their season ender versus St. Bonaventure. But I'm just impressed with Porter Moser and this coaching staff. When they, if they can get more and more talented personnel into this program, John, I'm so excited about what the future of that program looks like because Porter has shown us here these last couple of weeks, and I'll admit, I'll fess up to being one of the the folks out there that thought after that Texas Tech loss down in Lubbock that, oh, no, this thing, it's officially come off the tracks for OU, and he was able to push the right buttons and get this Oklahoma team to play really, really well come down the stretch. Obviously, not the finish they wanted versus St. Bonaventure, but again, big picture, I come away impressed, and then of course, women's gymnastics, you mentioned it. K.J. Kidler, her team, always dominant, <laughs> nothing new there. Yeah, they won three of the four uh, different uh, events on the night. So, yeah, just, I, I can't wait to get my daughter out there because I, I was really hoping to do it this this uh, season, but it didn't really work out. But maybe next year we'll get out there because I think it just looks like such a great time, just the different videos that they post on the OU Gym Twitter account just looks like so much fun. So if you haven't done that, do it with me next year. We're going to go out there, check it out next season. So Baker Mayfield staying in the news as well. Uh, the Cleveland Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, gave him a fully guaranteed contract of what was it? $243 million over five seasons. Did I, did, am I remembering that right? Um, just unreal. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time touching on Deshaun Watson and his situation, but how this affects Baker Mayfield is, I mean, he demanded a trade, and it's more than likely that's going to happen. Well, it just doesn't make much sense for Cleveland to not get return on their investment of a first-round number one overall draft pick in Baker Mayfield now. And I'll entertain the argument that Cleveland's already seen the return on investment by drafting Baker Mayfield number one overall. I mean, heck, the guy won you your first playoff game in eons and brought this franchise back from – the brink of being one in 31 over the course of two seasons, but it, it became pretty clear. Did it not uh, really the last last week or so that this was a relationship that had become fractured. And when Baker Mayfield put his statement out the way that he did on social media, then at that point, that's what we talked about uh, last week that I just didn't see how there was any mending these fences, how this was going to find its way to, to work out though we'd seen that in other places in the NFL before it wasn't going to happen here. And obviously now we've gotten to that point. They Cleveland was able to swing for the fences here, get the Deshaun Watson deal done. And now I just hope Baker Mayfield can end up in a good situation like Indianapolis that we've talked about where the roster is ready made to win. I hate to see him get traded somewhere that the roster is just not really in that type of shape to win because whether or not, Cleveland wanted Baker Mayfield to be the guy moving forward, John. I do think that his mark on that franchise is clear, right? The mark that he made. So they owe him the opportunity to be dealt somewhere 
maybe for not quite the return that they want in the trade, but somewhere where Baker can win. I'm hoping that's the case for Baker. Yeah, in recent reports, you look at over at uh, brownswire.com, all the talk is that Cleveland's not going to trade him. They don't want to trade him. And that's probably just some some tactics, negotiation tactics. Like, we're not just going to give this guy up for nothing. So if you want him, you better come after him and, and bring a serious offer. Indianapolis makes the most sense. It's a good offensive line, good running game, solid weapons out there. Uh, Michael Pittman at wide receiver. T.Y. Hilton's still involved. I, I think that would be a solid place. Seattle is another place that that – popped up on his radar i like the weapons out there with dk metcalf and tyler lockett but the offensive line is a bit of an issue the defense is not what it used to be uh but and and that's a just a terrible conference to or division to be traded into uh, with the defending super bowl champion rams the san francisco 49ers arizona cardinals that would just be a really really deep division to play in but also a really tough one uh so we'll, we'll keep following that story and we'll see how that transpires coming up next we're going to talk about the wide receivers but i also want to talk to you about bet online bet online is the best place to place all your sports bets it's the number one sport the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info if you're into college basketball get in on that if you're in on the NFL, Major League Baseball, they've got you covered with everything that you need to place your bets. So head to the website, betonline.net right now. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline is where the game starts. And Josh, man, it's it's spring football time. We're there. We're right there. We're getting ready. It's the first spring ball for Brent Venables. I think everybody, myself included, we're all eager to see how much media access uh, is going to be granted uh, to the local the local group or the local beat writers and people that cover the team. Uh, how much different will it be during the, the that than it was during the Lincoln Riley area? I think I think we're already seeing a difference. I don't know of Lincoln Riley going on multiple podcasts uh, during the off season to discuss his culture and future with the program. Brent Venables, I know he's been on the Oklahoma Breakdown. Uh, with Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichert. And then he was on a podcast that's run by a former Clemson uh, football player. So it's really interesting to me, like that he's jumping on the podcast, like that's non-traditional media and you don't typically see major, there I am using that word again, no disrespect, UCF, major college football program head coaches jumping on podcasts. Please disrespect UCF. I mean, come on, let's just fan the flames. (laughs) Let's get all those folks listening to the show. No, it is, uh, it's great to see. I love it with Brent Venables, the approach that he's just taken across the board here with access to the program. Okay, is every single practice going to be open? No, I'm not as pie in the sky to expect that, but it is cool that he's gone on a couple of these podcasts when, look, he's the head football coach at Oklahoma. He could deny it. Teddy Lehman being one of his former players, I'm sure that makes it a little easier to say yes, and same thing with the the Clemson player there, the podcast that he went on. But just with local media, John, it's been better. I mean, think about a head football coach at a place like the University of Oklahoma when you've just been hired pretty recently when, when all of this next sequencing of events that I'm going to touch on here happened. You, you have your signing day press conference doesn't really go well. You have some technical difficulties. And what does the head football coach do? He schedules a makeup, a makeup Zoom call with the local media. And it proceeds to last, what, an hour and a half or two hours or however long it was. I mean, it's just incredible 
the way that Brent Venables is going about his business. I do expect for there to be more access into the program. And man, I think that's great. If you're an Oklahoma fan, ultimately you win on the deal, right? Media is, you always hear media folks complain about media access, right? And it does make media members jobs easier, but ultimately it's the fans that win when you do have media members that get that access. So I think it's exciting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it as a now member of the media. So um, let's, let's talk wide receivers, man. This is my favorite position group in football to watch. It's my favorite one to, to talk about, to discuss. Uh, When I was watching film, when I covered the Dallas Cowboys, that was always a position group I started with because it was just, Fun to break down and watch these guys play. Right off the top, it's Mar- It's the Marvin Mims show. He's your wide receiver one. Any de- any debate on that? Any dispute on that? No, 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 no dispute whatsoever. I mean, the the kid has led Oklahoma in receiving yards each of his two seasons on campus. I don't expect anything different for him. And with Jeff Levy, what his offenses look like? You just look at the last couple of years at Ole Miss, Marvin Mims should be excited. Remember, we kind of started hearing, okay, well, maybe Marvin Mims will be one of those guys that puts his name into the transfer mm-hmm. portal. And maybe he's going to wind up leaving Oklahoma following this Lincoln Riley departure. He found out pretty quickly. Oh, wait a second. He throws Jeff Levy in his offense. He throws to wide receivers. How many times? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll go ahead and stay in Norman. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the issues from last season was it didn't seem like the, the wide receiver depth that they had got involved enough. And or there was this rotation that kept Marvin Mims from getting more opportunities. And I, I, what I'm looking forward to is potentially seeing a more varied route tree and more varied um, looks for Marvin Mims, where he's not just the deep guy. And I think that's what they became reliant upon was that he can win deep. And so we're going to run him deep, but then teams started taking that away. And so he didn't get as many looks in the short to intermediate passing game where, you know, a lot of those looks were going to like Jaden Hazelwood, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Woods, Mario Williams, uh, the tight ends, the H-backs, a lot of those looks were going to those guys. And so I'm excited for Marvin Mims and what he's going to be able to produce because this is a guy that really should get 70, 80 targets in a season. But, uh, you know, the COVID season limited production that first year in 2020, the rotation and just the way defenses were playing Oklahoma, I think limited some of that production in year two. But I think he's a guy that's really on the verge of a a breakout, breakout season uh, in his junior year. At wide receiver two, I think most of us kind of assume that it's going to be Theo Weese. It's going to start on the outside. Any question on that front? I think so. Pull the curtain back here a little bit. Chris Plank in a magazine story that he was writing asked, hey, share your couple of biggest spring storylines with me. And I, you know, there's so many that you could pick from. There's so much to be excited about. I think this spring with Oklahoma, with just Brent Venables and everything going on in general. But to me, the biggest storyline that I'm interested in with Oklahoma, it's Theo Weiss's health, right? I mean, all we heard was that Theo Weiss ahead of last season coming, you know, coming out of the spring and everything during last spring was that, Theo Weiss was doing some amazing things that he was the clear number one wide receiver for Oklahoma. What he was doing was special and he was about to have this monster breakout season. And then of course he gets hurt. And it sounds like in some of the interviews we've heard lately that perhaps that was a lingering foot issue for Theo Weiss, but he's important. You start thinking about what just the entire 
makeup of Oklahoma's wide receiver room is. And I'm not saying I'm worried about top to bottom, the collection of talent for Oklahoma. Marvin Mims, of course, is a superstar to begin with. But you need Theo Weiss to be healthy. He's the other guy kind of among this group of wide receivers that would be in the experienced category. And, of course, he's a five-star wide receiver for Oklahoma. So I'm really curious about his health this spring. And to answer your initial question, yes, no, Theo Weiss for me is the number two wide receiver for Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think he's a guy that he makes things easy for the quarterback. He's got size. He's able to make plays after the catch. Like he picks up those those yards that you don't count on necessarily when you're running a route and you're throwing that pass. You're like, hey, if I get it to the sticks, that's great. We'll pick up the first down. Good. He's a guy that's able to make people miss, break tackles, do something after the catch. And, and we saw it a couple of years ago back in 2020, especially in the Bedlam game. He had a fantastic play. It was like a six-yard catch that he took maybe 15 yards for a touchdown along the left sideline. That's what he's able to do for you where – you know, I feel like that's what they wanted kind of Jaden Hazelwood to be, but he just didn't have the tackle breaking and after the catch ability that we missed really from Theo Weese because they weren't able to get like a lot of easy things. You know, it, everything seemed really, really difficult in the passing game last year. Theo Weese is a guy that makes things kind of simple. When I looked at Jeff Levy's offenses, he doesn't move guys around a ton. He kind of keeps guys, you know, on the outside or in the slot. We saw Marvin Mims play on the outside his freshman year. They moved him to the slot his sophomore year. I'd like to see them move him back outside um, just because it it allows him to have more free runs uh, than having to play in the slot and deal with a lot of that mess. So if they if they were to move him to the outside, who are you looking at as potentially the third wide receiver? I think that's a great question. And, you know, some candidates would, of course, be Drake Stoops, who's – you know, done a lot for Oklahoma, reliable hands. Jaleel Farouk showed us something in the Valero Alamo Bowl. He's probably the number one candidate for me. I'm intrigued by Cody Jackson, who I didn't really understand, but I guess that he had had his own concerns that he had to sort of step away at points of last season for Oklahoma. You know that they're really high on him. And then just either of the two young guys, either Nick Anderson or Jaden Gibson, I think it's You know, you start talking about what needs to happen for this Oklahoma wide receiver group. Well, Theo Weiss, good bill of health, right? We touched on Mm -hmm. that. Need need to see him healthy in the spring. And then the other thing for me is one of the two between Cody Jackson or Jaleel Farouk, big step forward. And then one of the two young guys. You you need one of the two signees here, either Nick Anderson or Jaden Gibson, to be an impact guy straight away. They have the size to, to be that, which I find, mm-hmm. you know, very exciting for Oklahoma. Yeah, and I like what you said about Drake Stoops. I think he's a guy that could factor into that that slot role, kind of in a, in a Wes Welker type of role, you know, just a guy that gets open five, six yards down the field and and just picks up easy yards for your quarterback. Uh, I like the idea of Jalil Farouk playing in the slot as well. He did show some after-the-catch ability in the Alamo Bowl, which was really imp- – I think I think we underrate the yards after catchability because those are the plays. Like, you throw a six-yard slant that goes for 20 yards. Like, you don't necessarily draw up the 20 yards, but you need the athlete that can break at open every once in a while to get you those big plays because it's hard to come by big plays. A lot of times in the passing game, especially when teams are taking away the deep ball, Brian Darby, Trayvon West, they did some things for you last year. I like the idea of Trayvon West still in kind of in that, 
um, that gadget role, so to speak. You know, we saw them use him a lot on reverses. Please, Jeff Lebby, if you're listening to the show, do not, with the game on the line, throw a 50-50 jump ball to Trayvon West in the end zone. Please, please. <laughs> yes. And yes, yes, that is a shot at Lincoln Riley for all those who are paying attention because that's what he tried to do in the Bedlam game at the end of the game when they're trying to, to score the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, but yeah, those two of those guys, I think, could do something for you um, in rotational roles, like in, in, in certain matchups, certain situations. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this wide receiver group. Yes, you don't have as much experienced depth as you did last year, but I also think that that played a bit of a detriment to you because you didn't get Marvin Mims enough touches. You didn't get a guy like even, you know, even though he transferred, I thought Mario Williams deserved more touches, you know, and it, maybe it was hard because you did have four guys and then you throw in a Drake Stoops that you really liked. You had five guys that you wanted to get touches to, but there's not enough snaps to do that. And so it, it, hopefully there's a little bit more of a hierarchy. We got three guys that we're going to run, you know, 75% of the time and then just, you know, spell guys this year. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that'd be positive for Oklahoma. Of course, the name of the game is again, when you don't have the same type of numbers and depth that Oklahoma had in its wide receiver room a year ago. And especially you don't have the same type of experience depth numbers for Oklahoma. You got to stay healthy. If yeah. Oklahoma has that happen for them and they don't have, you know, any, Knicks or Knacks throughout the spring and into fall camp and then just over the course of the season itself. And probably you got to bank on at least one of those happening somewhere. Usually it's unrealistic that that doesn't happen, though the 2000 Sooners would say that it is possible. You know, if they could stay healthy, I'm with you. I, I think they're talented enough. Marvin Mims, again, is a superstar. I think Theo Weiss has the capability to be that. I think Jaleel Farouk has obviously showed us signs that he can really be on the, the verge perhaps of a breakout type season. And maybe it was just that Alamo Bowl game that he needed to really springboard himself here into 2022. And then beyond that, Cody Jackson, Anderson, and uh, Gibson, I think, are all really, really talented wide receivers. So they've got talent. It's just the, the numbers, I think, that I worry about. I don't worry about the experience factor. I worry about just the numbers, I think. Yeah, you certainly don't have a ton of depth to work with, especially on the outside. I, I feel like they could figure out the slot receiver spot. You know, if you say you go with Jalil Farouk um, at, at slot and then say there's an injury on the outside and you have to move him out, you still got a guy like Drake Stoops. Trayvon West, I feel like, could factor in pretty well in that role. Uh, Brian Darby's as well. You got guys that you can put in there. On the outside, you're a little bit more limited. Like Cody Jackson, Jalil Farouk could be those guys for you, but we just haven't seen enough of them to know, like, yes, they're ready to step in and be starters day one. That's why you're thankful that hopefully Theo Weiss is, is healthy going into spring ball, that he stays healthy through spring ball and into the fall, and Marvin Mims is, is ready to go. And they're then they focus on getting Marvin Mims the football, like that, that is a priority for them. You know, he's not a wide receiver, but I think Eric Gray could take some 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 snaps uh, in the slot or out wide for them and, and try to exploit some mismatches this year. But, hey, spring ball's coming. Josh, any more thoughts on the wide receiver group? I like what you said right there about Eric Gray. That's an intriguing thought that if Oklahoma gets into a little bit of a pickle, could they experiment a little bit with Eric Gray perhaps, you know, lining up in the slot? Because we know that 
he's a talented pass catcher and obviously is good in space. So I'm just, yeah, I'm looking forward to the spring, man. I'm ready to roll. I think the line linebacker position group who outside of Agwebu and Deshaun White, I think that's an interesting battle. Defensive backfield, we got to touch on that at some point. That yeah. might be uh, the area that Oklahoma needs the most growth out of this spring. And then, of course, just how does Dylan Gabriel acclimate himself over the course of this spring? Sounds like it's been great so far, but uh, obviously you want that to continue for Oklahoma. Yeah, and we're going to continue to break down these positions as we go through this week with spring ball happening and starting on the 22nd. So make sure you tune in here on Locked On Sooners. Make sure you follow the show wherever you get your podcasts free and available. Also subscribe on YouTube. Follow Josh on Twitter. He's over there at Josh on Ref. Listen to him on 94.7, the Ref in Norman, 1400 Sports Talk in Oklahoma City, and on the Sports Talk app on the Google Play Store or the app or the Apple Store. Uh, you can read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at the Sooners Wire. Um, and hey, make sure you check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. We're just a little over a month away from the 2022 NFL Draft. 12 Sooners declare for the draft. This might be the biggest draft class they've had in a while. I don't say I don't think all 12 get drafted, but you could have 10, 9. That's not outside the realm of possibility. We'll have to talk about that at some point as well. But that's going to do it for today's episode. For Josh, I'm John. We'll catch you next time.